0: Well, good evening. Good to have you here together and uh, be warming up in worship. Are you someone who likes uh, mountain climbing? There, I know there are a few uh, hikers amongst us. And um, sometimes when you're hiking up a mountain, it's good to stop and catch your breath and turn and look over your shoulder at the view behind you to see where you've come already. Uh, It's also worth checking the map, make sure you're on track. Um, and a little bit of a rest is always appreciated. But you know, when I do that, it's it's the view that I that I see behind me that sort of peps me up and gets me going. I think if if it's this good here, halfway up the mountain, I want to get to the top. I want to uh, really, you know, I'm motivated to get there uh, uh, all the more. And today, as we look at the book of Revelation, we continue in our series. We are pausing halfway up the mountain to catch our breath to see where we've come more than just resting though we're we're orienting ourselves uh, making sure we know where we are making sure we're not getting lost and the question that we're asking is where are we in the book of revelation where do we fit uh, you know where, where is our place amongst all of these strange visions that we are seeing Uh, So please do keep your Bible open at the book of Revelation. We're going to flick through a few parts of the the early sections of Revelation. But straight up, as we start the book of Revelation, we we notice that the perspective of this book is a little unusual. Uh, It actually requires us to see ourselves the way that God sees us, in different places at the same time. Uh, you see, the Bible teaches us that we that we live and, and we exist and we operate in more than one domain at the same time. Uh, I could try and explain it this way: we we are used to living in our physical domain. You know, we all have a, a home and we have an address, uh, and you know that's where we live. And we've come here, and we we're all physically here in the building tonight. At the same time, we also have a social domain. Uh, you know, a network of friends who may be spread widely. Perhaps we communicate with them via the telephone or on the internet or something like that. Although not physically present to each other, we are still connected and we're interacting socially. That's our social domain. So we have a physical domain, a social domain. If you're the internet kind of person, you know that you have a digital domain, you have an online presence. Uh, that is a real thing. Now, in much the same way, God shows us that we live and operate in a spiritual domain as well. It's completely real, alive, and at the same time as we are existing and operating and living in the spiritual realm, we live physically and socially and perhaps online as well. And to orient ourselves, to locate ourselves in the book of Revelation, to see ourselves truly... We need to rethink our reality beginning with this spiritual domain. That's where we start. It's a foundational idea throughout the Bible. Uh, that spiritual realm is largely unseen, but it is fundamental to our existence now and, and forever. So spiritually speaking, we may be in opposition to God or we may be on good terms with God. We may be his enemy, we may be his child. Okay, We're talking about our spiritual condition. And when we read that passage a few moments ago from Ephesians 2, you might have noticed that for the Christian there was a time when we used to spiritually follow after the ways of this world. Um, we were part of the kingdom in spiritual opposition to God. We were dead to him. But then, in verse 4, we read, But because of his great love for us, God, who is rich in mercy, made us alive with Christ. Even when we were dead in transgressions, it is by faith you've been saved. And God raised us up with Christ and seated us with him in the heavenly realms, in Christ Jesus. So, Now, the Christian's position in the spiritual domain has changed quite dramatically. Once we were dead, but Christ has done something fantastic, something radical. And the prepositions, as they usually do, tell the whole story. We've been made alive with Christ. God raised us up with Christ and seated us with Him, with Christ. Where did He seat us? In the heavenly realms. In Christ Jesus, So that, if you're a Christian, that is your reality. That is our reality right now. It's unseen, but it is true. Whether you feel it or not, whether you see it or not, you're alive with Christ. And you are raised up with Christ. And you are seated with Christ in the heavenly realms. Collectively, we are together in Christ. And so now, as we journey up this mountain of the book of Revelation, we realize that this spiritual perspective, this heavenly perspective, this God perspective, if I could put it that way, is most significant for drawing together all that is happening in this book. We are transported, as it were, To that spiritual domain, but we can see it now. And we're invited from that position to look now at the physical realm, the one that we're probably a little bit more familiar with. And so now, as we look with God's perspective, let's go back to the beginning of the book of Revelation and um, just kind of check in where we've come so far. Just to help us, uh, here's our little roadmap diagram that we're using. Uh, to uh, navigate the book of Revelation, chapter 1, John, who acts as a kind of narrator telling the story of his visions, he sees Jesus. And he sees Jesus in this first vision that he is not a failed Messiah, crucified and rotting in the grave. Instead, he is raised up and he is glorious. Uh, You can turn in your Bible to chapter 1 of Revelation, verse 17, and, and it'll say this. When I saw him... I fell at his feet this is his vision of Jesus when I saw him I fell at his feet as though dead and he placed his right hand on me and he said do not be afraid I am the first and the last I am the living one I was dead and look I am alive forever and ever and I hold the keys of death and Hades Where is this glorified Jesus He is in the heavenly place a little earlier we learned that he stands among seven lampstands that represent the churches, the seven churches to whom this book of Revelation is initially addressed. Jesus is in the midst of the lampstands, in the midst of his church. He is present with them. Locating ourselves in the book of Revelation, we can say with those other churches, the seven churches, that the glorified Jesus is with us here now. As surely as we sit here together, we are not alone. Each moment is spent with Jesus. He is glorious, He is ascended, He's not dead, He's not defeated, He is moving, as it were, among the lampstands, His church. He is alive forever and he holds the key, the keys to death and Hades. So quite wonderfully, we are not here alone, left behind like orphans or something. Rather, Jesus is with us and he actually continues to speak with us now. Um, If you scan to verse 20 of chapter 1, Uh, you'll see that Jesus is also holding seven stars in his right hand, seven stars which represent the seven angels of the seven churches, it says. And that word angel is an interesting one. It simply means messenger, one who is sent on behalf of... Uh, of their master, to speak a message. It's not clear whether these seven stars, which are held in that place of honour in Jesus' right hand, whether they are seven angelic beings that somehow, you know, relate to each of those churches, or whether they are simply messengers of God, given to those churches, the messengers who bring God's word to them, week by week. Either way, it doesn't really matter. The point is the same. Jesus is with his church And he continues to speak to his church through the messengers, whether they're angelic or human, doesn't much matter. It's Jesus who's speaking. So I think the first thing that we should really grasp from the book of Revelation is that Jesus is here today. And he speaks to us directly through his word right now. Next major section book of Revelation, is that series of letters that are written to the seven churches, um, chapters two and three. And the premise of the letters is, well, because Jesus is standing amongst the lampstands, he is intimately present with his church, therefore he knows everything that's going on in each of the churches. There's no evidence that uh, you know, each of the seven letters ever existed separately, you know, folded up, put in a separate envelopes and sent separately to seven churches. No, these are open letters where everybody gets to read each letter to each of the other churches as well as their own. Collectively, these letters are meant to build up all of the churches in their various circumstances of, of weakness or of persecution, and false teachers arrogance, lukewarmness, and so on. That number seven is the apocalyptic number for completion and fulfillment and perfection. It gives us a bit of a clue. These seven churches represent the whole church, the complete church. So as we receive the book of Revelation today, we can locate ourselves as the seven churches. The letters aren't directed consecutively to different churches throughout the, the you know, church history or something. But no, this is relevant to us now. It is addressed to us, this entire letter of revelation, the entire Bible, of course. We are part of the universal church. We've already seen how we are raised with Christ and seated with him. We are united together in that experience. We are one, not just as a church here in Roseville, but with the universal church, the church throughout the world today, the church that has been since the earliest days. So where are we with these churches spread far and wide, with the universal church? Where are we? What are we to do? Well, we suffer with the suffering church. And we mourn and we grieve the sins of the church that has allowed false teachers. And we get to rejoice with the obedient church. We have a responsibility to the persecuted church. Uh, a couple of weeks ago, Tom Takura encouraged us, get involved with Open Doors. If you want to learn about the persecuted church and how you can help, I encourage you to do that. Uh, we have a responsibility to the undernourished church. Undernourished biblically, undernourished Spirit, uh, physically, uh, I love that St. Andrew's partners with African Enterprise in the area of training pastors. I think it's a great thing that we do. In the same way, do you know, we also have a responsibility to the overnourished, lukewarm church to lead them in commitment and in passion and in mission and in generous giving for the growth of the gospel. Chapter 4, chapter 5, we're moving on through the book of Revelation, where we've come so far. A new section of Revelation begins in chapter 4. That heavenly perspective now becomes sharper and clearer still. John is invited up into the heavenly throne room where God sits in the centre on his amazing throne with those four quite remarkable creatures around him. Those creatures who represent the entire created order and around them, around the throne, are 24 elders who represent the entire people of God. This one's a little easy to see where we fit in the book of Revelation. We are right there in the presence of God in the form of the universal church. You know, we do participate in the heavenly realm all the time, but in a heightened and intentional way when we gather, as we've gathered right now for our formal church meeting. Okay, So if you're familiar with the traditional way that Anglicans celebrate the Lord's Supper or Holy Communion, as it's sometimes called, which we're going to do a little later tonight, that... Part of our service aims to remind us that we are truly part of the action in this heavenly throne room. The key idea is this: when, when we take the bread and the, and the wine or the juice, we are actually enjoying our place with Jesus in that heavenly throne room. We join with him as members of His body and share us in His blood right now, where He is. The word that the Bible uses, uh, which probably everybody here knows because we're Roseville and we all do Greek, koinonia, that is, we participate, we fellowship, we share with him and in him. We have a common union, communion, with him right now. Do you know when Paul writes to the Corinthians to tell them, look, you can't keep on worshipping these Roman gods and, and, and idols, his argument is you can't keep doing that. You can't keep joining yourself to these strange gods and then koinonia with Jesus is what he says. Uh, so in 1 Corinthians 10, we read, is not the cup of thanksgiving, he's talking about communion, is not the cup of thanksgiving for which we give thanks a participation, he actually uses that word group koinonia, in the blood of Christ. Is not the bread that we break a participation in? In the body of Christ. Because there is one loaf, we who are many are one body, for we all share of the one loaf. Paul's point is that eating the bread and drinking the wine is more than a merely symbolic act. It is more than a kind of a photograph that you whip out from your wallet and just have a bit of a look to remember Jesus with. It is that but it is more than a tactile memory jogger. There is a genuine participation in the body and blood of Jesus in the heavenly realm. Something unseen and spiritual is happening as we share in the Lord's Supper or in the Holy Communion. The bread and the juice that we will share together a little later tonight doesn't change. There is no magic. But nevertheless, where we engage with God in the spiritual realm, we enjoy an intimacy, an actual sharing with the person of Jesus right now. And that is a rich blessing. So communion is not cannibalism where we eat and drink Jesus and hopefully absorb some of his superpowers. That's not what's happening. Instead, we are delighting in the spiritual reality that we are sharers In the glorified body of Christ. Our sins were nailed to the cross in his body. And we are delighting in the reality that we are stakeholders in the new covenant, the new basis of relationship that Jesus sealed for us with his own blood. So how do you actually do that? Okay, this is incredible, what we've just been speaking about. Okay, I'm going to come forward in a little while and take some bread and some juice. How do I actually do that? Well, we believe it while we do it. Use your spiritual imagination shaped by the word of God. Don't treat this as a mechanistic process where I just, I'm just going to go forward and get, you know, get my juice and sit down again. As you physically eat and drink, use your faith muscle. Share this with Jesus. I I would encourage you, and forgive me, John, slow down. Take your time. Enjoy this event of common union, communion with the Lord Jesus Christ. You might notice that the traditional liturgy, if you know it, and we're going to use it tonight, uh, says, um, I will say to you, lift, lift your hearts to God. And we say, We lift them to the Lord. In other words, we lift them to Revelation 4 and 5 space, to the throne room. That's where we're lifting our hearts. By faith, we are participating in this reality. Um, That's also why the Anglican communion liturgy then follows that up with us all saying, along with the creatures with all the eyes, holy, holy, holy is the Lord God Almighty. Uh, We belong here. We participate in this heavenly worship. And just for a moment, let's just recall what's happening in this heavenly throne room where we find ourselves. Uh, I'm looking at Revelation 4, verse 8. You check it out with me. Day and night, these four creatures representing all creation say, or sing, actually, holy, holy, holy is the Lord God Almighty who was and is and is to come. And then, represented by the 24 elders, we lay down our thrones before sorry lay down our crowns before the throne and we join in the singing by saying you are worthy our Lord and God to receive glory and honor and power for you created all things and by your will they were created and have their being a simple point is this God is worthy of all the praise and honor that we could draw together he is worthy of our love Our hearts, our souls, our mind, our strength, our energy, our possessions, our desires, everything we've got. I I feel like holding back anything from God would, would be silly for he is so great. The focus of all creation is the glory of God. And it is that reality which anchors us for the rest of the book of Revelation. We need to be anchored there because when we get to chapters 6 through 16, it gets very dark. We saw a couple of weeks ago the first six of seven seals removed from a scroll in God's hand. The scroll represents the unfolding of God's plan for the final triumph of his kingdom. But it's pretty grim. As each of the seals come off in chapter uh, 6, there are the four horsemen of the apocalypse, as they're known. Oppression, war, famine, death. And then we find there are martyrs who are crying out to God, God, how long until there is justice? And then there is this terrible foreboding of final judgment where kings and generals and, and, and slaves and free men call out to the mountains, fall on us. So terrifying is the prospect of the final judgment of God. And then last week, chapter 7, there was a pause before that came. We saw that God has actually sealed every one of his precious people so that they are preserved and they are protected through that terrible time. None are lost. No one is missing. The complete people of God, Jews and Gentiles, people of every tribe and language and culture and nation throughout time, they come out of the great tribulation because they were sharers in the body and blood of Christ. That was last week in chapter 7. Next week, we'll dive into chapter 8, and the seventh seal will be opened. Spoiler alert, inside the seventh seal, guess what? There's seven trumpets. That are all going to be blown, and when you get to the seventh trumpet, there is signs and there are seven more bowls of wrath to come. It's the same story over again. Um, imagine that you've never ever seen television before. And uh, you, you go to watch the World Cup on, on TV and Australia scores a goal. And then seconds later, the same guy scores another goal, and then another, and then a fourth. Four goals to Australia! Sadly, they were just action replays. If you've not seen this before, (laughs) you you wouldn't get it. But in the book of Revelation, we get four different angles of the same action in those middle chapters, 6 through 16. And it is this reality, chapters 6 through 16, where we locate ourselves again. And sadly and strangely, this world of Revelation 6 through 16 is very familiar to us. Evil seems to triumph and Christians suffer. The world seems to be in the ascendancy and and, and godlessness flourishes. Just as truly as we live in the heavenly realm where Jesus rules, we also live in this earthly realm where evil also exists, where Satan is doing his worst. And somehow we have to hold these two realities together. But we know how it ends. For now, though, we find ourselves in that central section. This heavenly perspective that we're given in the book of Revelation, particularly when we locate ourselves in it rightly, it doesn't remove us from the physical day-to-day world in which we find ourselves, where there are struggles and where there are challenges of many kind. Instead, it is the perspective of Revelation that enables us to endure, to persevere in these lives. We, We feed off this by faith. Because we know that he is with us. The Lord is with us. He is near. And we are with him, located in the heavenly throne room. That changes everything. We can do this. We can hang in there through the challenges because of the reality that we are reminded of in this book of Revelation. Let me uh, introduce to you a friend of mine, Uh, He's Ezekiel, and uh, he made me dress up like this on this day. This is uh, his patch, his turf. And um, uh, this is the church that Ezekiel runs. Uh, that's Conceptor, his wife, next to him. Uh, the church is a little nicer inside. It uh, looks like that. And uh, during the week uh, in the slums of Nairobi, Ezekiel turns his church into a school. And uh, there are over 100 kids come to his school every day. Uh, who live in the same slum? Who grew up where he, where he grew up? He was one of those kids one day, and uh, I've known Ezekiel now for uh, for quite a few years. Uh, we we're talking on the phone this past week. Uh, one day, uh, the kind of mafia boss who owns the slum turns up uh, and starts to put the squeeze on Ezekiel. He doesn't like what's happening there, and so to get rid of him, he put the rent up on his church. Um, And then he burned down the only public toilet that exists in this whole slum, uh, right next to to, uh, the the church that Ezekiel was renting. And the fire spread, started burning down all of the houses. They're just made of tin and cardboard. It didn't take much. Um, That happened on the same weekend that Ezekiel's church got their first ever paycheck uh, they had some microfinance loans. They set up a little business. And they got their first ever paycheck for all of their hard work. Uh, here's my favorite photo of Ezekiel. I, I love this one. What did the church do? They gathered up their first ever income check. And they spent it all on food and supplies and shelter for the homeless people who lived all around them. Uh, I wish I could tell you more of the kinds of challenges that this dear brother of ours faces. How do you reckon he keeps going day after day? I can tell you. He's got his perspective right. He knows that he belongs with Jesus and that Jesus lives with him and that that slum is actually not his true home. He's got the perspective right. The book of Revelation doesn't minimize the difficulty of our day-to-day lives. Quite the opposite. Some of us will do it tough. Maybe tough in different ways. And if that's you, I want to encourage you to hang on to God's perspective. For all that we are shown in the book of Revelation. Know that you have the family of God right with you know that Jesus rules and we know how this all ends. Will you pray with me? Our great God and Father, we thank you for inviting us into your presence in the person of the Lord Jesus Christ as we are alive with him, risen with him and seated with him. We ask That you would give us such faith, such eyes to see what you have shown us in the book of Revelation. That day by day, we would have the strength to endure whatever it is that you allow before us. We ask this in Jesus' name. Amen.